0: Welcome to Tuesday night, ABCs of Apostleship 2, Discipling Apostolic Christians into Becoming Scripturally Organic and Culturally Unmodified. I tell you what, if you've been on a journey with us, you know that we are on a mission to transform the body of Christ and bring her back to our roots in apostleship. Now, a lot of times when you hear people talk about going back to the roots, it's about doing feasts sacrifices well now it's more of offerings and and celebrations and those sorts of things but we're talking about the foundation of the church the foundation of the kingdom with apostles and how the apostles did this and why really this answers why the church is so confused why we seem to be so off point. How did it happen? That's the question that keeps coming back around is, how did it happen? How, how did we get off point? How, how is it that we've lost so much ground and so much territory? Well, I tell you what, the answer is an apostleship, and as a result, in being scripturally organic and culturally unmodified. The body of Christ is so modified by culture, a word that we also use is carnal, that many times we don't realize God is not in the midst of what is going on in the churches. It's man. Now, we always want to say, well, why are they being blessed? And and Dr. Price has taught on this because man is blessing them. It's man's seed, man's money, man's offerings that are keeping a lot of these ministries going, and God has departed long ago or was never there to begin with, which is also in Scripture. So I want to encourage you to get caught up. If you're tuning in, especially for the first time, or you're listening on the, the podcast, and it's like, I just found Dr. Price, and I want to know what to do with this information, how to get more. Well, you can go to www.DrPaulaAPrice.com, and trust me, get your fill of Dr. Price's ministry, and her word, and what she is doing, because like I said, we are on a mission. We are not just on assignment. We are on A mission to take back the body of Christ for Jesus. We've taken it for our community. We've taken it for other people's ministries. We've taken it for a whole lot of things. But can we take back the kingdom to our sovereign? Can we we bring him home? You know, we kind of have this Davidic assignment to bring him home as he is. And you can't mishandle him. We've been mishandling the Lord. He's been cutting up all along the way. You have he's been cutting up and people have been getting hurt and a lot of times they've been getting hurt because they've been mishandling the presence of god we have made his presence about a feeling we've made his presence about a, a long praise and worship service see how long we can sing how many hooks we can do how many people can fall out on the floor but but, but, but. are we really handling the lord properly and apostles do teach you how to handle the presence of god and, and not just, you know, a wind. We want the wind of the spirit. We want, the, like, the special effects. <laughs> okay? Well,
1: that's why we got the little smoke machine.
0: Exactly. Another those one phones. of our hot buttons and everything else to mask the fact that, hey, guess who didn't come to church today? Lord God. Jesus.
1: Skip church.
0: Lord God Almighty. You like with Moses, he's not going to be with us today. We need to be where he is when he is. You know, actually, it's interesting that you say that,
1: and I tell you the truth, it's necessary for people to think differently about God, and, and I'm glad we're there, because we're almost where I want to be anyway. Well, glory. So, you know, I'm lucky to have the young prophets show off their education
0: no and
1: their experience and the young apostles young apostles, you know? I have to say young now, you know. <laughs> I'm not sad, isn't it?, I tell you, but those dates are get you. That's
0: good,
1: though. You know, those dates come a lot of wisdom. Hey, right. and a lot of safety. Right. You know, because you, you get a lot of wisdom, you get a lot of safety. The little little bit of wisdom make you reckless because you have to fill in the blanks with what you don't know. Right. So when you, are, when you lack wisdom, you're always living in the guest zone. You're guessing wise. Ah, well, I guess this is right. Well, I guess that's how it goes. But when you get wisdom, you have a whole other thing that you can rely on, you can pull on, and it's a strength. Wisdom is a defense. I mean, think about it. Wisdom is a defense. You know, part of our Apostolic Prophetic Bible Education Program is dedicated to God's wisdom because guess what God is? Why? Why? You know, he's the only wise God, yeah. all wise God. Lacking nothing. And so it's really good to hear you talk about that. You know, how to treat God's glory, how to respect Him. We've come away from that because you, you know, that kind of, oh, hallelujah. Mm, my Jesus. That kind of wisdom comes from being with God and in God's sphere. In his realm, you cannot go home, play with the kids all week long, play with the wife, have vacation, hang out with the friends, hang out with the buds, be on the phone, you know, having those restaurant, you know, fellowship moments and all of that. Do that all week long and think you're going to stay sharp in God. Because God is a person. And staying sharp in God requires the same thing. It requires for you to stay sharp in anything else. Many of you all, it's not that you don't love God. It's just that you've lost your taste for God. Mm. See, what happens when your love grows cold is you you lose your taste for that love. You lose your taste for that kind of love. You lose your taste for how that love affects you, and it ceases to be satisfactory. And sometimes it's because the person, the object of your affection is grown cold. Well, that won't be Jesus, because I don't know. I, I'm, I, can't even, I don't even want Jesus to go cold. we got to orchid that people here live on. <laughs> Just to let us know he can do real ice real well. But, you know, So that's not it. So then the other thing is that, and God talks about it in the parable of the seed um, and the sower. He talks about how the desire for other things enter in. Mm. So if you came to God with a list of desires and then God hasn't given them to you, you're constantly disturbed with God because your hope is deferred. And deferred hope causes indifference and resentment. So when your hope is deferred, you are indifferent to God because you feel that he's indifferent to you. You see those delays and the wait as God's indifference. So if I don't matter to him, then he won't matter to me. And that's really going to knock him off his throne. I mean, I know that works. You can tell people who behave that way don't know God. There are people who suffer with whatever God's issues are or his way of doing things, but you know what? They don't mistreat God. When your response to God's way of doing things is mistreatment, you don't. God's not real to you. If it's punishment, God's not real. And I say that not just because, well, you know, you don't believe it is God. No, you don't believe God is really who he is. In other words, you really think your little antics are going to upset his world. You really think that. That's a tantrum. You know, that's a tantrum. And many saints have been having a tantrum. God spoke to me about two of my folks. He said, you know what, they're going to have a long tantrum. Some folks that I've been counseling for years, people I've been counseling, even early back, still having a tantrum with God. Still, man, that's because you don't believe God is who he is. And that every day you cut up, he literally chooses to ignore it. Every tantrum you have, every antic every punishment, every take-back, every I'm not going to tithe, I'm not going to church, I'm not going to sing, you can't talk about Jesus to me. I don't care. All of that, God made up his mind in the beginning to overlook, oh. and he overlooks until he, he, he's Resolved that we should know better. Now, when God thinks you should know better, all bets are off. He's not going to overlook. That's when he's going to allow the fruit of what you've sown be your harvest. So let's grow up. One thing that if you're dealing with a genuine apostle, again, because you got a lot of label snatchers and label grabbers. You know, these are people who just, I started three churches, I'm an apostle. You know, I had a dream, and I'm an apostle, and all of that kind of crazy stuff. You know, my pastor went to the Walmart, talked to you about him last week. Hallelujah, the evangelist went to Target. Glory to God. You know what I mean? And so the elder, the elder just went underground, came back, and like a superhero, I'm an apostle. Come on. But, but there are those that God really does, and you will know the people of the true apostle. Their people are not childish. Good. They're not I don't care what the age of the apostle is. I I know some some young ones, I know some older ones, they're real, but their people are not childish. And they don't not subject to tantrums. When I meet an apostle whose people are afraid of them getting mad and having a tantrum, I know I haven't met an apostle. I met a woman. Because everything in scripture by those apostles that we are, that's in our Bible that, you know, founded the church. Exhorts maturity, self-control, fruit, handling your world, being in control, maintaining composure, okay? And building wisdom to hear and listen and entreat. Some people are so in love with their ideas, God can't give them the truth that he took and knocked them, knocked them side the head with it. This is true, boom. You come true talking about, boy, that life hit me hard. When you have grown in God, God is sanctified in your soul. Now, let me say what that means because I'm, I'm leading to something. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I am leading to something. Hallelujah. When, God, when you have matured, God has a place in your heart no one else touches. You keep that place clean like you had if he were in your house. You keep that place clean. It's stocked with what he needs. It's filled with what refreshes him, what protects him. God's place in your heart. So you don't mingle him with the world. You don't mingle him with the family issues. You don't mingle him with all of the disturbances that are around you. You don't mingle God with that. God stands as the solution. He has his own altar in your heart, and he stands as the solution. He stands as the answer. When people start saying, look at Job's wife, you know, I'm still stuck on Job. Guys, I have no idea, but probably by the end of it, I get to, um, well, I'm already three, three chapters out. Because, you know, when I read a Bible, you all have to see. When I go through a book, I go through a book. I have to ask him to bring my Bible up so you can get a book, a sense of how it is. When I go through a Bible, I go through a Bible. And I'm telling you, I read it word for word, go through the word, stop, make cross-references, make changes. I go through. Nobody can use it when I'm done. You don't want to even snatch my Bible to read the Lord's Prayer. You're like, okay, so come on. So I, when, when you go through in life, you know God, and you know that God is not your problem. God is your solution. God is your source and your solution. We, we love him being our source. We're not sure we trust him in that solution thing. I mean, after all, he is kind of old. You know, his mind may be slipping. And so because you have all of those crazy underlying subtleties that are influencing your mind about Jesus Christ, you realize how many of those pictures right? God is old and naked and carrying Do you realize that half of the medieval people have sex issues? How in the world are you going to have all those naked pictures of the Almighty? Like you know what it looks like. Like you're assuming that it, that it looks like what you say. And they're sitting up there, biggest day in folk churches. All perverse. You go in these churches, you got little nasty, naked angels. All perverse, trying to tell you that, that God is sanctified. God's not even hallowed in your choice of art. Now, how's he going to be hallowed in anything else? He's not hallowed in your choice of art. Your choice of music. So, when you grow up, the more you meet God, the more you know he deserves better. When you, the more you mature in Christ, the more you know Christ deserves better. He doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve the lies. Talking about Job, Job's wife, Kirk, God, and Doc, Job's friends, this is the reason why you're going through because you just don't know how to treat God. But everybody could say what they want, but God said about Job, he spoke of me what was wrong. Now we had some growing issues, you know. Joe had, Joe had a couple of under underperforming, you know, attitudes and and objectives going on in his life, but he literally, God had a place nothing could touch. His sorrow couldn't touch that place. His pain couldn't touch that place. His disappointments couldn't touch that place. None of those negative, adverse reactions to the trials and the, and the routines of life could touch God's fire. God was the place you went for relief. God was the place you went for joy. You went to God, that place in God for your happiness, for contentment. You went there for answers. You went there to remember who you really are. And to re- regain yourself. And, and all, you know, it's very different when God has a place that nothing can touch. Somebody out there talk to me and tell me this word is not hitting home. But some of you all need to back up and create a place in your soul where nothing in life can change, alter, or destroy. You have got to get to that point. Mature Christianity understands that God is working all things together for the good to those who are the called according to His purpose. God is working all things together. They understand that if He could have done it a, be- a different way, He would have, and that whatever way they're living through it is the best way God sought to bring them through, to bring them out to a broad place. Is that good or what? That's and I think about that. I talk to God. There are days that I have, oh, my goodness, I get so frustrated, and I start trying to go down that path and say, hold on, God, you didn't do this. You don't deserve this. I'm attacking the wrong person. I'm giving the wrong person my, the hateful medicine. Your problem is not God, so you don't need to keep giving God Satan's issues and Satan's medicine. And so I'm telling that. There are days that I go about and when I repent, I say, God, you did not deserve that, and I'm sorry. This is beyond repentance. This is treating him like he is your God, like he's, your, he's a person with feelings and that you have just levied an unjust charge against. Joseph, I'm not going to charge you almighty with evil. Some of you, are you charge God with everything, you get a flat tire. You're mad with God. God, you knew that nail was in. Why don't you just come on down here and get it? Because he had nothing else to do but run and chase nails for your time. I mean, isn't it that idiotic? You even think the devil put it down there. The devil would look a little more busy than that. I can't imagine him getting caught up in trivial things like, let me drop some nails. Now, he may have some instead of doing it, but he is who he is, you know? And so God wants us to grow up. And, in God, and to grow up side of God, you do not charge God with evil. It doesn't make a difference what your testimony is, you know? Though he slays me, Yet I will trust him. Though right now I'm a mess, but I shall come forth when he's through with me like pure gold. You know the place of refuge. And if you dirty up your sacred place, you got no help. If you defile your sacred place, why do you think these churches are failing you? They've defiled God's sacred place. You, and some of you all are in those churches where they're defiling him every week with humanist songs and secular songs and, 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 and sleazy worship um, and ministers and, and sleazy pastors and all sorts of artificial stuff, and you sit in there listening to one, one TV magazine show after another every Sunday. And you go home and wonder why you can't get a healing. Why can I get a healing? Because you're in a place where God is not healing because they've asked him not to come. When you ask God not to come, you also tell He's not going to just mail his blessings to you. You're in places, you're in churches where they have defiled his temple so much he is grieved. And he's groaning. That groaning that you hear in your sleep, that's the Holy Ghost grieving over the nonsense that's happening in his body. Because you've been told that the, the, well, and I know because I came up in that era, you know, where you were told, well, the church is just a building. The church is a building, but guess what? You're just a body, but you're hallowed by the Holy Ghost in you. Why isn't your church hallowed by the Holy Ghost in it? That that place is supposed to be clean for God's use. I'm talking to somebody that I don't even know who, but God is telling me, clean your church up. Clean your worship up. Clean your worship leaders up. Clean your ministers up. You want a healing? You try to get God to pay your rent on your building, and he's not doing it. And you know why? Because he doesn't have to, because you asked him out. So he's not going to pay your rent. You're going to have to come up with a whole... Why do you think all of those people said that they, they, they repented in sackcloth and ashes? Because they knew that God was not impressed with their finery, which had become so secular, so worldly, so idolatrous that God could no longer feel like it was his house. Some of you all, used to, you're in church, you're like, I've been praying for a miracle, i praying for all these years, but well, you might not be in a place where God is welcome. Listen to the songs that your, your church sings. That'll tell you how welcome God isn't. You know, listen to the, look at the outfits that everybody's free to wear. Listen to how they dance. Look at how they dance, supposed to be in the spirit, and they dancing in the club. you see seeing club moves in church in the spirit. You can't dance like that in heaven. You get there with that in your soul. But so you listen to all of these people who failed the holiness leader. When holiness came by to register them, they, they literally did not show. They don't understand holiness. They don't know what God's issues are. Mature Christians know God's issues. See, it's not enough to know the human experience. I keep telling you, you must know and become intimately familiar with the God experience, the creator's experience with his creation. So you need to clean up your church. You need to have real prayer in your church. Stop telling the prophets to shut up. If they're not good enough to be prophets, then take the title off of them and make them sit down and be sheep. So I'm telling the worship leaders that they got to sing songs at the. Pit. When I go to these churches and they say we got three kinds of services for you, I'm like, so what? Are y'all a fast food restaurant? Now what are all services for God? We got the we, you got the buffet of carnality, buffet of the people's will. Well, we have the we have the 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 jazz service, and then we have the traditional service. And, of course, nobody comes to the traditional service. Well, you already told them they're stupid for being traditional. And then, of course, we have the contemporary service. So, in other words, we're going to stylize God according to the trends of man. We're going to stylize God. And so God was like, I don't have to come. You know, I don't have to come. We have been looking for buildings for almost a year. I am amazed at how many Edifices, God is done with, done. I'm not doing it. No, don't ask me. And and, and the reason that you, he, you, well, he doesn't say that to you, no, because he's saying it through me. He's saying it in his absenteeism. He's saying it by not keeping the lights on. He's saying it by making you have to keep shrinking your seats week after week. He's saying it by you having to get smaller buildings, and then you go and you we kind of spin it by saying, well, yeah, well, we're going to the community. No, you're not. God's not paying for what he used to. He's not paying for what you used to be because you're not that any longer. He's not paying people. Hear me. He is not paying. The church is not broke because God has no money. The church is broke because it's run from its God. You want God's bank. You want him to keep you in, keep your trust fund going while you treat treating like God. if he said, but if you don't trust me, then you don't get a trust fund. So he's not going to keep, I'm telling you right now, if you decide to go through that quote-unquote contemporary worship, you may have a lot of bodies, but you won't have a God because God's not going to show up. Well, the people are touched. People get touched at the club. They get touched at the movies. They get touched at the restaurant. They get touched at games, and they get touched at concerts. So, flesh is touchable. That's what that's what flesh is about. Flesh is touchable. So, you have got to get to a place. You know, you better love on him. Come on here. You've got to get to a place where God is God again, where the Lord Jesus is hallowed, and holy. Do you realize that Lucifer's issue was that he distorted God's glory? And that same distortion, he's, do, he's peddling on God again through you and your church. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to sing songs. We don't have to mention the name of Jesus in songs. Who do you think is saying, you want somebody to you go to work every day nobody uses your name. That's what you're not going to get, a paycheck. Probably not get access. You want people to use your name. And some of you all got, got cute little nicknames you're going to make people use. But yet you can't use the name of Jesus, but you can plunder his goods. And because it takes a long time for God to show his displeasure in material form, and the reason he chooses the long way is because his fast way is to kill people. You remember all of that Old Testament stuff that he did? His fast way. So it's nice that God takes his time. He allows it to work out. He's decided the redemptive path is to let all of the foolishness of humanity just work out in their lives. He just lets you deal with the sowing and reaping consequences. He puts that law of sowing and reaping into effect, and he just lets it run its course. And the problem is the people who started it are usually long gone and dead by the time their offspring live with the consequences. And that's the sad part. The sad part is that the children didn't do anything but the systems that the parents set up that God judged don't die with the parent. Those systems just keep going. And they keep going. So here you are. You don't know any better. You grew up in church. Your mother said all of the right things as far as you knew. And you're a kid. I mean, how right or wrong could you judge? So you, you went to church. You went to Sunday school. They told you you didn't need your Bible anymore. You didn't know anything was wrong with that. They told you that you didn't need to wear a skirt any longer. And then nobody, nobody, nobody cares. They told you that you didn't have to be modest. That you can. They nobody cared. They told you you can have boyfriends and girlfriends in church. You didn't know. You were just listening to your leaders. It's all you know. So what that became part of your formative years in Christ, your child rearing, and so that's how the church reared you. And here you are today, living with the consequences of something you didn't even start. You didn't initiate it, but it's all you know. However, trust God because God be praised. He said he's given us an unction, the Holy Spirit who will teach us all things, teach us what we should know, lead us and guide us into all truth. So even though you lived that as you became an adult, some of you all were like Josiah. Do you know what Josiah did? Josiah was made king as an infant. And they kept him until he hit a certain age. He hit about 12. They brought him out. (coughs) They brought him out. And he came out into the world that they had built called Yahweh's kingdom. Now, he didn't know any better. He just came out. They kept, you know, obviously he had little snatches of it through his trainers and, and his mentees. But Josiah had a moment. And four years into his reign, he had that unction that we think God didn't have back then. And that unction, that this is for my millennials. That unction says something doesn't feel right. Some of you all are Josiah. You're in your Josiah moment right now as a millennial. You grew up in this, and it seemed like it was fun, but for your, in your mind, you don't know what church is for. Why are we doing church? If I could do this on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, I could do it on Monday. Why, are we, why do I have to come to church to do this? I'm just going to roll over on Sunday because, hey, I've done it Saturday night. Same thing. And so you are having that Josiah moment, and Josiah began to say something is wrong and he used his authority and his influence to investigate why God wasn't in his country. Why is our covenant God taking care of us? Why are my people suffering? Why is my money tied up? Why is there war on every side? Why is it that we pray and our priest is getting no results? Why is that happening? Josiah, if you're a millennial, I want you to read Josiah. Okay? If you are a millennial Christian, I want you to read Josiah because you need to read, come on, somebody, put it up on the screen for me. You need to read about someone who was like you. They were born in wrong, but something told them that wrong was wrong. So Josiah comes out, and he has a visitation with God, and God changes his heart as a leader. And he begins to grow into his position. And by the time he's 20, he is having a revival. He's spirit a revival in his land. But he did it by investigating how we got here. And some of you all, especially non-millennials, you are wondering, how did we get here? Because when you remember seeing something else when you were very, very young, and then there was a change. Disenchanted pastors turning into Eli. Their delusion, you know, disillusioned passive and deluded turn into Eli. They turn into what's the use. They, they, they throw their hands up in resignation, and what's the use? It's more of them than me. So we're just going to let them do what they want to do. It takes a lot to be strong to the end. That is why Jesus said, "People who endures to the end will be saved. So you got a lot of millennials who are just Eli's sons and didn't intend to be. You all didn't even get a shot. Samuel's boy, more so. Samuel. Samuel's so busy doing what he thought was right, he forgot to pass it on to his children. But the people knew his children weren't buying it. See, the people knew that Samuel's sons were not buying it. So some of you are in that position right now where you are saying something is wrong. This feels wrong. And you know why you can say it? Everybody may not be able to say it because you have a real salvation. You had a true salvation, a true Holy Ghost came in and saved your soul, and he didn't leave. He just backed off until you grew up. Like Josiah, he allowed you to be tucked away until you grew up and then to live it so you could make decisions concerning it. Some of, you, some of you had a real, real, real salvation, a real conversion, and as a result... Let be God, and as a result, you are having your moment with God. You're having an epiphany. Your God is showing up, and you're saying, "Aha!" And what did Josiah do? He, 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 they started. The first thing he did, he didn't know anything else. The first thing he did was start cleaning out the house of God. He just started cleaning it up. I mean, literally, he just started. They started. He, he, he gathered some priests. He raised raised some money, and when he raised the money, he turned around and gave it to the priest. He gave it to the carpenters, the masons, and other workers, and he started cleaning out the house of God. That's how Josiah got the answers to the questions. He knew something was wrong, but he did not have any intelligence to recognize or articulate what was wrong. By instinct, he started repairing the old ways. Some of you millennials, you are who God is calling to be repairers of the breach, to restore the landmark, to restore Places for God's people to dwell in his holiness, to put his name back on his buildings, to put his names, come on, somebody, hear what I'm saying, and put his names back in his word and back in his people's hearts and minds. Oh, is anybody out there hearing me today? Because some of you millennials don't know what it's all about, but if your name is all we told you about the Joshua generation, but let's talk about the Josiah generation. Because Josiah had a generation. And he was the young man, the young king, who said, I don't care what how popular it is, something's wrong. Uh, the God of the land is not responding. And so he's got them, and he's got his people, he's got his leaders all set up, and he sends them over to check out the work. And what did they find? They find the book of the law in the rumble of the house of God. Now, remember, they had temples, but they were demon temples. People were going somewhere. They just weren't going to God. They weren't coming to the, to the covenant God. They were going to church. They just weren't going to God's church. And so he, so he looked around and he said, well, if this is the temple in Jerusalem, why is it dilapidated? Why is it full of junk? It had become a storehouse, a junk room, and a joke. And so he goes. And he sends his people, and they come back, and they find the book of the law. They have never seen what we would call, just, just allow the allegory, okay? But they have never seen the Bible. Never seen it. Nobody used it in church. They had all kinds of rituals. They had all kinds of antics. And it takes you reading, um, reading about Jeroboam to know that they were literally worshiping demons and didn't know it. Didn't know it. But Jeroboam had put... Priest over there. So their priesthood was ungodly. Their priesthood was for other gods. And so they bring this book to Josiah. I'm talking to my millennials right now because some of you are Josiah. Some of you are the ones that said, I knew something was wrong. I knew there was a problem. I knew that wasn't right. My, my spirit didn't bear witness. I'm talking to you. And so Josiah reads the book, and as he's reading the book, he's getting terrified. He's getting answers as a leader. He's getting instructions. He's also getting corrections, and he's getting chastenings and rebukes, all in the same thing. And he's reading and reading, and he sees, oh, he doesn't even understand because he's never heard it. He knows it's not good, but he doesn't still know what's wrong because it took an older person, a seasoned prophet, to tell him. Now, he had prophets all over the country, but he knew they weren't his prophets. He knew They knew they weren't Yahweh's prophets. They weren't prophets of the God of the that founded their land. And so he goes and he reason and he says to his secretary of state Hey, find somebody who can make this make sense. I have a feeling that I found out why we're not blessed. I found out why the fields aren't growing. I found out why the vineyards are not bearing forth. I found out why miscarriages are high. Fertility is rampant. Our children are being mutilated. We can't stop war. The life expectancy is short. I found out why, and I need somebody to help me so I'll know what to do about it. Because leaders never see problems and walk away. True leaders see problems and turn into solutions. And so Josiah does this. Are you all following me tonight? Is this, are you all working? Because see, this is very important to some of you. And so Josiah, bless his heart, he sends to the prophet Holder. Now he, said, he just says go find somebody to read it. The secretary of state knows the only person who's standing for Yahweh and where that community is, Huldah the prophetess. So Huldah is standing for Jesus, and just I just want to go and say Huldah was a woman, just for the record. I just want to say that I realize that we hear so much about Jezebel, we don't hear about Huldah. We hear so much about Jezebel. We do not hear about Miriam. We do not hear about Sarah. We don't hear about we hardly hear about Esther, and we surely don't are no, not told about Deborah, Deborah, the female head of state. So we, I just want to point out, just, on So he says to Hulda. And Hulda is where the prophets, the true prophets are. But they are underground. Because remember, false prophets will drive the true underground until the true are released by the powers that be. So when Hulda comes, she is the only one who has the word of the law in their mouth that the king can trust. want to lay down on it don't you want to lay down on Yeah. So they know where the true prophets are. And they're underground in the second quarter. They call it a college because it's a gathering. See, because, you know, college of apostles didn't mean that they had a brick and mortar building, but it was a gathering. So clearly she was in that place where they gathered prophetically, where the people who wanted to pray for God's change went. And it wasn't gorgeous because, you know, gorgeous went to the devil. So it wasn't gorgeous, it wasn't rich, but it was full of God. And so he goes, and maybe they did nothing, but you can understand that you can't sit in the high seat and not know where the true and the false are. That's an impossibility. You either are in a high seat or you're not. And if you're there and you know nothing, then you're not really in the high seat. There's somebody higher than you. So i
0: guess get <sighs> <laughs> That's good stuff, Dr. Clayton. And I want to say, I want to take this moment while you're sipping. Okay, I can sip again. sip again. If you are watching and you're interested in securing Dr. Price to be a guest on your network or your radio show or your ministry or whatever, the, the easiest way is to go to Dr. Price's website, www.drpaulaaprice.com. Go to the contact portion. And send us a message, it'll get to me, sure. that you wanted to book Dr. Price for your broadcast. You've had several requests for that. So go to our website to the contact, you know, contact us uh, portion with your name, contact information and say, I want to book Dr. Price for my broadcast. It would help if you had your, the link to your site or wherever you host your broadcast so we can take a look and get in contact with you because there's been quite a few requests.
1: And I'm looking forward to more. I had a vision that I was going to be on a lot. Of, I was going to be interviewed a lot on a lot of shows. So it's interesting that you're mentioning that because God gave me a vision. So let's go back. So Josiah sends his 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 three hands, and they go to Huldah. Huldah begins to read the prophecy, and she begins to interpret it for them. Now they're smart people, and they have a scribe because back then powerful people had little scribes with them the way we have our phone and recorders. So no powerful person did not have somebody to document what was done officially. So anyway, so they go back and they, they, they take the word back, and Josiah, young. Now remember, he's young. He's not, by, by this time, he's not past 2021. 20, he is young, but God has caught him up. Some of you all have gotten caught up by the Lord. Some of my Josiahs out there, you millennials, you're just waiting to find your holder. You're waiting to find the book of the law of the Lord in the rubble of the house, and you're doing your very best to try to clean it up. You don't have a lot of instruction, don't have a lot of guidance, but you're doing your best. And so God is getting ready to bring the answer to you, to map out the plan. And so she explained what was going on. She told him that his nation was under judgment and that God was was angry, and that he had withheld his blessings, and that all of Deuteronomy 29 was bombarding his land. So instead of Deuteronomy 28, the blessings of the law, he's got Deuteronomy 29, and it's all over the place. Some of you all who don't know what that means, read this week, Deuteronomy 28 and 29, because some of you are asking about child slavery. Do you know what's in Deuteronomy 29? Some of you are asking about unemployment. Do you know what's in Deuteronomy 29? Some of you are asking about gangs and crimes. Do you know what's in Deuteronomy 29? If you go and read that book, you're going to find out God is hot with the land he founded. So Josiah says, oh, my goodness. Not fall out defeated, you know, and, and, and obviously disappointed. Instead, he said, Well, we need a plan, we need a campaign, we need to pull together. All the priests and the ministers, we need to finish this house of God. We need to restore the worship. We need to tear down all of these pagan icons and these pagan temples. We need to tear up these Asherah groves because that's where they have um, sexual orgies. When you see groves and, uh, and you see them, the images in the grove, they would, they would look at um, images, uh, female images or male and Im- sex images, and then they would have sex right there at that statue. See? So he said, We need to clean up something. And he did. And he then after he did, he had a team to clean up, a team to build, uh, to finish cleaning up the house and renovate the house. He had another team of priests that he trained and revived those good ones that were underground. He put them in seats of power, he put them in seats of authority. And then he said, Go and get us a force. Of teachers of the law of God, and go out and teach. The, and so his his revival was not a revival of music. It was not a revival of song and dance because what God was living with, what didn't deserve celebration. It did not deserve a party. They didn't. They, God wasn't giving them a party over what they did to him. So he sent them out, and their revival was of the word of God, and he taught the nation about their God again, and he taught them the truth. He taught them about the days of them coming into existence. He walked them through from the beginning to the end of what made them great and why they were great and how they were going to be great again because he literally had those priests. He put together um, a little force of priests who went throughout the country bringing the people back to Yahweh. Some of you millennials, you're going to do that. I prophesy to you right now, some of you all have had your Josiah moment. The Joshua generation had never had a shot, so they didn't know. All they were were wilderness babies finally brought into statehood. When they got into statehood, they still weren't trained because the text says that when Joshua and all of those of his generation died, nobody passed it on. There arose a generation that did not know the Lord. So that's a different generation than the Josiah generation. The Josiah generation are the ones who are born in the mess, born in the decline. Born in the perversion and the distortion. Born into it, raised up into it, reared into it, living with it, and know nothing but it. That generation is the generation. Oh, somebody hear me today. That generation is the one that makes the choice, and they become the activists. They become proactive, and they understand because God has lived in their souls. Even though he had never breached from their heart to their mind. And then all of a sudden, God starts breaking through to their mind. And they begin to see, oh, this isn't right. God deserves better than this. This isn't right. What we're doing to the Lord is wrong. This isn't Christianity. This isn't Christendom. Oh, my goodness, people are going to go to hell on this. And they sparked the campaign, they sparked the revival the revival that brings the nation back to their God. It's a Josiah thing. But, you know, they can't kick it off without the word of the Lord. And nobody in that land even knew there was anything such as a Torah or a scroll because they had modified versions of all of the sacred texts of the deities that they were worshiping. And God himself, who founded the land, became the unknown God in his own land. And so Hulder spells it out for him. But she makes a statement. She says, now listen, it's hot, and he's not going to get calm. This is not, this, all this sin has to be dealt with, and he's going to do it. But God is going to hold back judgment until you're in your grave. Because you cared about him, God is going to hold back judgment and allow you oh, I'm happy when I say this, and allow you to give him a respite. Josiah gave God a respite from the sin, from the demonism, from the witchcraft, from the devilism, from the carnality, from the mysticism, and the, Josiah gave God a respite. And in that respite, for a season, his name was glorified. In that respite. Respite, they sang the songs of Zion again. In that respite, neighbors stopped killing neighbors. Crime went down. Families were restored and kept together. Literally, households were rebuilt and empowered. Because when you read your Bible, and if you don't ever read it, you don't know. But when you read your Bible, I like saying that when you read your Bible, Well, because you know we don't. They don't. Many of you, the Bible is not in the rubble of the house, but now it's in the rubble of of literally mixed up, far too many translations. So the rubble is the translations, the versions, and interpretations. Same book. How is it that we can have the same book and somebody woke up and said, yeah, well, you know, that word is too hard for you to learn, and you really don't, don't have access to a dictionary, so... But so he he went to a prophet, a prophet who had the pure word of God. Can anybody hear me say the pure? The pure word of God. And he turned around, and this woman told him how he could do it. So uh, needless to say, she was out of her cage. She was brought out because this young man knew what he lived, what he saw, what he saw his parents did, what was passed on to him was not, God Almighty, it was not Yahweh, and they used his name. You know, in the Bible, when you see Baal, Baal this and, you know, Baal that, and, you know, when they talk about, you know, El Shaddai and all of those, think about it, Baal what? They put Baal on God's name, so he, he, they gave him a new title called Baal, whatever that name was. Del Perez or whatever they they did that to his name or L. When you see El, they gave him the names of other gods, like we do Jesus Christ. Oh, I mean, you know, what is my Ashley, You know, my hot button. You know, when you talk to a lot of people and they tell you that Allah means Allah means God. No, 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 hold on. Allah may be the name of your God, right? but Allah is not the name of the covenant God. God's covenant name is Yahweh. Write it down. Because see, some of you all are walking around saying, Well, they said it all means the same thing. No, it doesn't, but they did that to him before. They've always done that to him. God's covenant name is Yahweh for Israel and Yeshua for Christianity. Yeshua. God is our salvation. Oh, I'm so excited to say this. How many of you all like hearing that? Did you like hearing that? Because, see, some of you all are buying the con, where they put the L on it. Before it was L, and then it became Baal, and now it's, it's, it's Yahweh and probably some record, Some of people people talking about, well, you know, God and, and Zeus are the same thing. No, they're not. No, they're not. Read your Greek mythology, and then read your Bible. You'll find out are two different stories, all together different stories. That's like saying everybody named James is the same. All gods are not the same. You need to recognize that. And so, he brought him out. He brought her out of her, her because she knew the plan. When you are ready for when God gets ready to take over, guess what? You get elevated. You get promoted. Some of you all want to be promoted for being in the prayer closet. You want to be promoted for being on your knees. That's fine. We appreciate that. And when you get to heaven, you probably have a nice see or a really comfortable knee pillow. But, but God promotes our fruit because he still has to work with natural things natural people are suffering. Natural homes are destroyed. Natural families are destroyed. Natural lives are being lost. Natural businesses are being bankrupt. Natural. That means God's got to do that so all your prayers are wonderful, but he's going to run with the team that will put your prayers into effect. Because you have to understand, that's why you didn't get promoted. Well, it's not right. I mean, did all of these things. No, no, no. But you did not give God what he needs. He needs fruit. That's why I'm saying to you today, those of you, there are a lot of people moaning about the problems of the church, moaning about how bad the world is and how devastated things are are turning. But it's the leaders that bring the solutions. And those solutions are put in the hands of people. People make change on earth. Angels don't have a right to make change on earth. Devils don't have a right. They all have to use clay pots to get it done. And so I want you to think very differently about your call. So I told you, i, I got a passion for a I I like my millennials, my pre-millennials, post-millennials. I don't care. I just like people of God. And I know that there are some great people out there just wishing God would talk wishing God would show them the answer, give them some insight. Great people out there. And you know what? You needed a voice. And so this is the voice. First of all, God always, hear me. I don't care what people tell you. I don't care about so-and-so's devotional book. I don't care about anything. Our job is to authenticate that which God has always done the way he's always done it. That is our job. So every time God wants a revival, he did not start with song. He did not start with that. He started with work. He started with labor. He started with people. And most importantly, he started with prayer and, and, uh, and repentance. Revival will not come. I don't know how beautiful the songs are. Trust I mean, me, we, we got some good revival songs. They sound good and everything. I'm not against them. Please keep singing. Don't, don't let them go. Just keep singing. They're wonderful. But that is not what starts. God starts revival with his word. That's why he starts with prayer, and then he starts with prophecy. Prayer and prophecy first, and then repentance. If my people will call by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my faith, and turn. See, turn, that's repentance, from the wicked way. Then he gave you a formula for here and for We want God to do it our way. He's not going to do it our way. He's not going to do it the way the last move was. He's not going to do it the way the last thing was. Half of those moves did nothing but make us feel good, and we still didn't change. We learned new stuff, but not a whole lot of them, not a whole lot of them cleaned our souls. Not a whole lot of them caused repentance. Most of those moves didn't even ask you to repent. They just told you to come and get in the water and soak. Just come. Get in the river and Get in the water, and you got all had a whole lot of fun giggling and and laughing and, and running around and whirling and twirling as if the work was done. But it wasn't. God starts revival with the word of truth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And Satan will give you a whole lot of false and imitative moves of God, making you think that there's a refreshing and all of that, and there's nothing wrong with it. God does have refreshing; He does do all of that. But revival, revival starts with the word. Josiah hated what was going on in his land. He did not know what to do about it. He hated the icky feelings he had when he saw certain things happening or certain ways that God was being mistreated or his, his, his words or his law or his covenants perverted, and they had, all he all he had was that hicky feeling, because that's all you get with the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. But then he got a hold of the Word, and when he did, intelligence came to him, and it's that intelligence that he was able to act on. And see the, all these moves that we've had did not make intelligent Christians. That should have told you something. It did not make informed Christians. It made emotional, experiential, experimental Christians, but it didn't make them intelligent. People, it brought them less from the logos, and it locked them too much in the rhema. And so they had all of the whatever somebody said was God was God. They had no logic system, no order, no filters, no checks and balances at all. When God has to move, the logos is the check and balance. But these moves didn't do that. People got worse. Think about it. If they were genuine moves, how come the church isn't better? How come people aren't stronger? How come God doesn't have a stronger presence in the world? Did you ever ask? People used to ask me, so is this of God or not? People aren't changing. They aren't repenting. You can't have somebody tattooed up the front, and down the back, kick off a revival. They already God's already. That's like Josiah's problem. God's already mad with that. He's already done with that. And so they're not going to tell people to repent because they are impenitent. You realize an impenitent revivalist will not tell you to repent. An impenitent revivalist will affirm you in your mess, tell you God's okay with it because God doesn't matter to an impenitent person. God matters to the penitent, to the contrast spirit, to the brokenhearted, to those grieving over sin. So all of, those moves, all of those moves that we had, they were wonderful moves. were not great? You're talking about we had all of those moves where women stopped wearing clothes with each move, where women stopped being holy, where, not, where, where, where dating went to mating, where love went to lewdness. That's what we got. That's the fruit of all those movements that we say were great revivals over this last several years or last couple of decades. They didn't clean the house of God. They didn't clean the temple of God. They didn't clean the people of God. Instead, they encouraged more and more of the same. Now, you don't have to, you know, just take my word for this. Some of you are very good researchers. I know because you send me some interesting stuff. So they do. So, you know, some of you are very good. Research yourself. Let's just look at the last, the renewal, the refreshing, the outpouring, the whatever. Let's look at all of those that we blame on the Holy Ghost. Let's look at every single one and then measure what that move did and how it affected society, how it affected Christianity, and what if, how it benefited God or failed to benefit God. Let's go through all of that step by step. We don't have to just have a debate over it because you don't have people say, well, I just think it was God. Well, you probably don't know God either because if you think that was God, you clearly don't know him. But then if you go on your Bible, you're going to find out your word. Will just, God's word will discredit two-thirds of that. People came in, and it was, well, you know, I just like it because, well, you know, the word is heavy, and, and we didn't get a chance to smile, and we didn't get a chance to oh, give me a break. All of that kind of ties carnal stuff. Oh, I can't speak up, <laughs> do I mess, no. But I'm telling you, trust me on this word. this If you want a real revival from God, you better know it's going to start with his word. And the first thing it's going to do is prayer. Prayer is going to go before, and it's going to go before a line. And then after prayer, it's going to, we're going to have prophecy. God's going to start uttering what he's going to do and how he did it. We're at point 1, point 2. It's Christian organic, cultural modified. We're right on point with that. We're in line with it. We're 100% in line with it. After that, God begins to reveal the word, and then he moves on his people to restore. Before you celebrate, you restore. The reason people celebrated the temple is because they built it, they restored it. It wasn't before. You don't celebrate before you accomplish what the man wants to get done. That doesn't even make sense. But anyway, my time is up. I did an hour. Yay! Go to DrPaulAPrice.com, say, I want this woman on my show, I want this woman on my radio show, my broadcast, I want her on my next meeting, my conference, my panel, I, I want to do it. So go to DrPaulAPrice.com, and also get some material, get some tapes, some books, we got all oh, a bunch of stuff. And listen, if you want to know if you are Josiah generation, hey, take an assessment. Take the MAQ, and you're going to find out what God called you to do. Because I believe in my heart, and I know this word comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it. Many of you are going to be the restorers of the breach and the revivalists of the 21st century, and it's going to be a wonderful, glorious move. Until then, remember, scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. I will see you Thursday morning for the Paula Price Show. Good night.